Stand with me for the reading of the word. We'll get right into it. Exodus 13 is where we're going. I got a football. I will be using this today. Yeah, I will be. Yeah, me and Penny. I'm going to send Penny out for a pass. It's going to be a good time. Uh, Exodus 13, starting with verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from the tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Notice, this is basically the summation of what God said. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Look at verse 17. The verses in between, he gives the names of the men that he sends. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage, bring some fruit of the land back. So notice, the Lord said, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Moses gives all this detail. The thoughts I want to share with you today find their origins in a message that was preached by Tess Stewart at Because of the Times. It was very powerful and God's been talking to me through it. I'd like to entitle this message today, Keep Your Eye on the Ball. Keep Your Eye on the Ball. I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would challenge us today, God. On this football Sunday of all days, that you would challenge us, God, to stay focused on what you've called us to do. And I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. (coughs) Keep your eye on the ball. (coughs) I've always loved sports. Football, of course, baseball, softball, basketball, soccer, tennis, golf, track and field, gymnastics, swimming, Diving, skating, hockey, skiing, surfing, rodeo, horse racing, car racing, motorcycle racing, both round track and drag, boat racing, billiards, bowling, weightlifting, volleyball, ping pong, cricket, no joke, curling, and many, many others. And as a kid on Saturday mornings, I would down a bowl of Fruit Loops or two, and I would watch Bugs Bunny, and I would watch Scooby-Doo, and I would watch Johnny Quest, and Mike Spence looks like one of those guys on Johnny Quest. I should have thrown a picture up. And the Super Friends, and when when the cartoons went off, I kept watching anxiously because I knew what was next. And this is what would come on. Children, this is a history lesson. (laughs) 
I, I, would, I would see some of the most iconic. Anybody ever watch that? I, I would see some of the most iconic sports moments of all time with Jim McKay and his wide world of sports teams, uh, you know, all over the globe, spanning the globe. But, yeah, you can cut it now. But, of all the sports I've loved before, there's one in particular. There's one in particular that has always captured my imagination, always stood up far above the rest. My all-time favorite sport is, it was, it remains, football. Football. And as a kid, this sound just made me giddy. Play it right now. God have mercy. One, two, three. You know what I'm talking about? Just wow. Does anybody, does that get your motor going or what? Man, that was just like wow. So exciting. There's another one, though. Here's another one. Check this one out. (laughs) The game's coming on, Mama. Put the cookies in the oven. Pop some popcorn. It's football time. Wow, just, just gets my motor going, right? Am I the only one, Josh? That, but there, there, there's more. There's more. Here's another one. God. Man, I just love that. How can you not go crazy when you hear that? But I got to be honest with you. For me, for me as a kid, the mother of them all, Milton, was, was this one. This is the one. Coming to you from Arrowhead Stadium, you know, like, ah, oh, just those, those sounds. I was there with Howard, listen to this. I was there with Howard Cosell, Frank Gifford, Dandy Don Meredith, Fran Tarkington, Al Michaels, Dan Deerdorf, Dan Fouts, Boomer Esiason, Dennis Miller, John Madden, and on and on and on and on it goes. I love football, folks. I love football. And today is football Sunday. I've got a little gift for you because of that. Our ushers are going to pass them out right now. It's a a little gift for you because today is football Sunday. And tonight we're going to see Matt Flynn and the Atlanta Falcons take on Tom Brady and the New England Patriots So I got a special gift for you today. It's a little football. I got you a little football. Now, when I was a kid growing up, we had Sunday night church. Some of you remember what it was like to have Sunday night church. And you know what happened on Super Bowl Sunday? I went to church. And right after Super Bowl, right after church was over, We had a phone out in the lobby. I hate to tell you how old I am, but it was a black phone on the wall on Traffic Street that was like a a rotary dial, Wallace. 
It wasn't Andy Griffith, you know, like hold it and do like that. It wasn't that old, but it was a rotary dial. And I'm telling you, every Super Bowl after church, we would run out to that phone, me and my cousin, Randy, and some of my other friends, and we would call it, who, who won the Super Bowl? Who won? Because we never watched the Super Bowl because we always went to church on Sunday night. Now, if we start doing church on Sunday night again, I haven't crossed that bridge as to the call that we will make on Super Bowl Sunday. Don't judge me. I feel judgment in the house. Don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying. So I got you a little gift, a little football there. You may have noticed my jersey. I'm a zebra today, but I'm the lead pastor, so I feel like a referee sometimes. Now, when it comes to catching a football, any kind of ball, really, you have to keep your eye on the ball. I learned this in Little League in Bossier City, Louisiana. I was at Apollo Elementary. I was playing left field. There was a pop fly that came my direction. And I got distracted. You know, I don't know. I was a little bitty thing, so I don't know if the butterfly flew by. I don't know what happened, but I was watching for it. I looked away, and the next thing I know, boop, the ball hit me on top of the head, almost knocked me unconscious. And I learned from that moment on, DH, you got to keep your eye on the ball. It's very important that you keep your eye on the ball. And in football, you have to keep your eye on the ball. Before you catch it, as it's coming into your hand, you have to keep your eye on the ball. Because if you don't, if you're trying to figure out where you're going to run or who is, you know, what the, this refrigerator is that's running towards you that's about to tackle you, you, if you're worried about that or trying to figure a way out of that, then you've already blown your first assignment because you're not going to catch the ball. I don't care what your skill level is. I don't care how good you are or how much you've practiced. If you are watching that ball and take your eyes off of it, you will not catch that ball. It will, it will move on you. you. You will lose your concentration. So the most important thing you can do is keep your eye on the ball. Are you with me? Now, if the scriptures, Deuteronomy 1, through 23, says that the people, the children of Israel, initiated the idea of Moses sending spies to preview the promised land. We don't have time to look at that, but Deuteronomy 1, 23, read it when you get a chance. However, our reading in the first part of Numbers 13 says that God told Moses to send the spies. So who said it? Who gets the blame? Who gets the credit? The people or God? And let me just cut to the chase and tell you, based on careful study, I believe it's clear that the idea of sending the spies originated with the people, but God allowed them to send the spies. Now, the people were afraid. They had great fears, and God was trying to calm their fears. They had great anxiety. God was trying to relieve their anxieties and let them kind of put their toe in the water before jumping in all at once. From God's perspective, there was no need to send in spies, right? He's God, like we mentioned earlier. He already knew what and who was in the promised land, and for that matter, he had already told the children of Israel what and who was there. He told them 
before the spies ever went in, in Deuteronomy 7, 1, I'm going to read this from the Amplified, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to possess and has cleared away many nations before you, the Hittite and the Girgashite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, seven nations greater and mightier than you. Verse 7 of that same chapter says, The Lord did not love you and choose you because you were greater in number than any of the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you or brought you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So there are three undeniable facts in this passage. There were seven nations awaiting the children of Israel in the promised land. Seven nations. is a fact. God knew it before the spies ever went in. He named names. Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Second fact. These seven nations were greater than the children of Israel, meaning they were more powerful than the children of Israel. They were stronger. Third undeniable fact, these seven nations were more numerous. And the wording suggests there were fewer Jews than any one of these seven nations. God said, you are the fewest of all the peoples. So if there were three million Hebrews that came out of Egypt and are in our story, then they would be facing some 20 to 30 million adversaries in the promised land. So, when you factor in the military might of these seven nations compared to the zero military might of the Hebrews, they had been slaves for 400 years. When you factor in the sheer number of people and the synergy of these seven nations working together against one small common enemy, then you have impossible odds. Everybody say impossible odds. Working against the children of Israel, odds that are approaching something like Powerball odds, right? Anytime I see the Powerball over $100 million, I'm always just amazed by it, Albert. My eyes get big like I don't need $1 million. It's When it's to $100 million, I'm like, look at that. And I'll tell Valerie, I passed a sign yesterday. I said, the Powerball is at $229 million. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I feel judgment in the house. Y'all quit it. And Valerie always says this. She says something like yesterday. She said, you are more likely to be hit by an asteroid than to win that stupid Powerball. (laughs) impossible odds and that's what the children of Israel were facing I'm preaching about keeping your eye on the ball hang with me here this is so amazing to me so when Moses heard those words from God seven nations greater and mightier he immediately understood the overwhelming odds against him and his people he got it Like nobody else in the room got it. And I'll tell you why. Because Moses was the most educated man among them. 
He was raised as an Egyptian. He was educated as an Egyptian. He was raised to be an heir to the throne. The title of Pharaoh was a real possibility in young Moses' future. And a Pharaoh had to know and understand military principles. Pharaoh was expected to lead an army. We saw where Pharaoh did lead an army. So Moses would have been trained in the art of warfare He would have learned strategies and tactics and weapons and armor and positioning and fortifications. He knew about reconnaissance. He knew about spying. He knew what to look for, how to recognize weakness in his adversary, in his enemy. He knew how to exploit it for his own advantage, how to calculate the odds. He was raised to do all of this, to ride a chariot and lead an army into war. None of the children of Israel could even relate to the training that he had. So with that in mind, notice the wording again of what God told Moses in verse 2 of Numbers 13. God said, send men to spy out the land of Canaan that I'm giving to the children of Israel. And then notice verse 17, what Moses says to the men that he sends in. Go this way by the south to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. God's already told them all this. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are are like camps or are they like forts, fortified, fortresses, strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor, if there are forests, if there's a tactical advantage here. This was not the reason God had Moses send the spies into the land. It was not for military recon. It was not to find weaknesses and get strategies and investigate to see if the cities were walled or not or how the terrain was set out so they could gain some kind of advantage or to find out what the enemy's resources were. That's not the reason But that's what Moses turned the spy mission into. It was an opportunity to spy out, to find weaknesses, and to make this a more manageable situation for Moses. Deuteronomy 7 says Moses already knew the people were strong. He was looking for ways, though, that he could control and manage the situation. I'm trying to preach about keeping your eye on the ball. And what Moses was doing was taking his eye off the ball. And in this case, the ball was, go, Moses, where I told you to go, son. Do, Moses, what I told you to do. And I'll tell you why I'm sending you in there, Moses, because I love you and I chose you and I'm faithful to my word. Just trust me. And God was throwing a perfect spiral, man, a Tom Brady spiral, perfect spiral that all Moses had to do was keep his eye on the ball and he would catch that thing and they would gain the victory. But Moses took his eye off the ball and started trying to say, is there a better way? I mean, is there any way we can control this and manipulate like this and make it a little more manageable because it seems to me the odds are stacked against us. Can I tell you, it's not our job to figure out how God's going to do what he does. It's just our, our responsibility to keep our eye on the ball of his promises. Hallelujah. Keep your eye 
Keep your eye on the ball. He loves me. He chose me. He told me to go. He's faithful to his word. God wants to do impossible things in your life. God wants to do unmanageable things beyond your own abilities and beyond your skill set, beyond all that you can ask or think. But you got to keep your eye on the ball. He loves me. He chose me. He told me to go. I'm going to go where he told me to go. I'm going to do what he told me to do. I'm going to, be, I'm going to be faithful to his word because he's faithful to his word. I'm going to keep my eye on the ball. I've been praying about this and thinking about this particular day. There are some people, God led you to life point, And you don't understand everything. But listen, keep your eye on the ball. If God led you here, he's going to show you why. He's going to lead you into promises you've never experienced before that are above and beyond your religious experiences. You thought you had plateaued. You thought you had hit the top. But God's got some other promises to give to you. I don't care who you are, how long you've loved Jesus. There's more for you. Keep your eye on the ball. Give Jesus some praise right now. Can you do it? Hallelujah. There's a victory that he wants to give to you. It's one that you can't gin up or make happen yourself. But if you'll stay true to him and keep trusting him, he'll bring you into a promised land. Amen? It becomes obvious in the way Moses worded the instructions to the 12 spies. These were not the instructions God gave. They are instructions God gave, but through the filter This is where Tess Stewart influenced me. Through the filter of Moses and his training and his expertise, his skill set. Tess brought this illustration out. I want to use it. Tess is amazing. He's uh, in Florida now, but he grew up in Liberia. His parents are amazing people. Albert Stewart... I'll never forget, this is in the podcast. I word this uh, appropriately. I was in a meeting one time, and Tess's mom and dad were called to the very front. And the word was, we need to raise some money for this magnificent couple. If I get the story right, Albert was a Marine, and I think he was stationed... possibly in Ethiopia, I can't remember exactly. And he married this woman that he converted to, to, to Jesus, became a powerful believer, and ended up being a missionary to Liberia, which is war-torn, civil war going on. And when I was at this meeting, this, this pastor's conference, they had him rise up and they said, Albert needs some money, he, he's in, he's, he's in a in a jam, it needs to raise like he's hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, something like that. My eyes got big, you know. We're raising money for a lot of missionaries, and this one's like ten thousand dollars in the hole. This one's got a fifteen thousand dollar. This dude needs hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars, and I was like, what in the world is going on? What you know? What what's this guy misappropriating? You know, like I'm just being judgmental, talking about judgment in the room. And when. When it was all said and done, the guy leading the meeting said, I have a letter from the president of Liberia I would like to read. And he says, "Um, I would like to commend Albert Stewart and his wonderful family 
for risking their lives, for saving X amount of people, for housing people in their homes, for helping to get people out of the country, for, for hazarding their lives for years at a time. And, and he went on and on and on. And, and then, then I felt like a fool. You know, I'm like, wow, this is an amazing man. This is Tess. This is his family. This is where he comes from. And Tess brought this out. And this is powerful to me. In my house, in my house, the, the coffee beans go in the grinder about 4.30 or 5 in the morning. And it ain't me. It's mama. She's in that empty nest. And that grinder's like... I hear the routine. And then she takes... Because she, she's a coffee connoisseur. She gets special beans. She's a coffee snob. She's critical of what I think is good coffee. She's like, that's terrible coffee. <laughs> really? I thought it was good. Awful. Tastes like tar. Ugh. She has a machine that only a scientist can use. It, seriously, it's, it's crazy. It's a scientist machine. It's all brass or copper on the inside. And like just, just, it's just a scientist. Only a scientist can make the coffee. But she takes it. She grinds up those beans. And then she, she puts a filter in, special filter. Not this one, special filter. And then she puts those, those coffee grounds in that filter, and then she pushes the button, one of those buttons or, or whatever. It's, it's like alchemy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's crazy. And she pushes the button, and, and the, the coffee starts, the water starts going through uh, to make the coffee drain into the pot. But here's the deal. You can have top-of-the-line beans. You can have uh, some kind of scientific coffee maker. You, you can have a wonderful grinder, and you can have a top-of-the-line filter. But if your filter is soaking in turpentine, Kelly, you're going to have coffee that tastes like turpentine. If, if you're, if you're I'm, I'm running out of things to say, like uh, for, this comes to my mind. If, you're, if your filter is in mercuricum, right? I don't know why that came to mind. And you, you, it, your coffee's going to taste like mercuricum. It's... It, because whatever, no matter how good you've prepared everything, the, what, what it goes through is going to come out. And Moses was an expert. He understood warfare. God said, here's some impossible odds, Moses. What I'm, asking, what I'm telling you is going to happen can't happen. But I'm going to make it happen. And Moses is like, that's that's good. That's good. Now, spies, when you go in there, uh, I want you to do a little. God told me to tell you all to go, but I'm going to tell you because it's filtered through me. Let's look for some strategic advantages. How about it? Are there really more of them than us? 
uh, are they in fortified cities or just camps? Because that'll help me out because we can manage that a little better. Tell me uh, about the, their, their abilities to fight. Are they really fighters? Are, are they really as mighty as I've heard? He, he's trying to make it a more manageable victory. He's filtering everything through that filter of his abilities, expectations, strength. And I want to tell you something. We tend to do the same thing. We will tend to filter the promises of God through our abilities, expectations, strengths, our religion even. And God is wanting to give us a victory that's above all we can ask or think and beyond anything that we can gin up or make happen because he loves us, because he's for us, because he chose us. He's sending us into a place of his promises. My admonition today is keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on his promises. Amen? Hallelujah. If we take our eye off the ball, we fumble. We lose yardage. We don't put points on the board. We end up punting, changing teams. But that is not the will of God. God wants to take his places. Hear what I'm saying? And he wants to take his places this year. He wants to take his places this year. His promises are for you. His promises are for me. He wants to take us to home, to our home. Welcome home. He wants to take us to a place. He's bidding us to come, and and it's a challenge to us. I I, I was thinking about some of us. We understand. Moses should have already understood this because they could have never gotten out of Egypt in the first place had God already not made a way. They couldn't make those plagues happen. They couldn't make Pharaoh say, get out of here. They couldn't make Passover happen. They couldn't cross the Red Sea on their own. None of that was possible. But God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And I think about some of us, we should already know what I'm telling you. I mean, we've already been there, done that, gotten the T-shirt. I I, I was thinking of several of us. Wesley and Kelly, you came to mind. Uh, Maybe because we were at that Jason Crabb and Crab Family concert the other night. We had a huge representation, way more than I expected, at the Crab Family concert. Jason Crab started following me. We had so many people there that Jason Crab started following me on Instagram. I was blown away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little plug there. But anyhow, it, it was crazy. Uh, I was thinking about y'all, Wesley and Kelly. God's brought y'all so far. There were so many people there. You know, it's hilarious. They're like, hey, is that barber guy still at your church? And I'm like, yeah, he's been with us 10 years, yeah. 10 years. But, and the reason they were saying that because they didn't think Wesley would stick. They didn't think Wesley would stay. But God brought him through the fire and brought him through the flood. He's done so much for Wesley and Kelly, and he can do even more. They kept their eye on the ball. I thought about Wendy and DJ. They weren't at the Jason Crab concert. Wendy was here working, getting ready for football Sunday. Everybody give her a hand clap. But I thought about Wendy and DJ. We went out to LaRanger, went to that dedication, and and people are talking about Wendy and DJ. They they doing good. We're so proud of them. But there was a time people never thought Wendy and DJ would ever be married and ever stay married and ever serve God, ever be a board member at LifePoint, ever be on staff. Never thought it would happen. But they kept their eye on the ball. 
He brought them so far. He's brought them so far. We got an amazing report this week from Jeff and Jamie. God moving in their lives and doing things that people said can't happen. But they kept their eye on the ball. Listen, what has God done in your past? That's just the beginning. If he did that, he can take you into a bright and amazing future. Just keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Russell and Cassandra, I thought about y'all. So many others. In football, check this out. In football, I haven't thrown the football one time yet. Mm. (laughs) I think about in football... What do we like? We don't like third and long. We like third and what? Manageable. Third and manageable. It's like, ooh, they've gotten themselves into a jam. It, it's, not, it's, no longer, it's no longer third and manageable. It's third and long. It's third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, third and twelve. Like, they've gotten themselves in a jam because we know that we can get two or three yards. Like, we, we can make that happen. We have good skill. We got good running back. We good short pass. We can do a screen. We can do this. We can do a, we, we got the wildcat. Where'd that ever come from? Well, thank God it's fading away. But, you know, like all these crazy plays, we, we can make that happen. I was watching a little preview stuff on Belichick and Brady. Man, this is a game that is thought out to the, to the nines and micromanaged and worked on year-round and plays and Trick plays and all, it's just crazy the way football works. But we don't like third and long. We like third and manageable because we can handle that. And sometimes in our lives, we want miracles, but we don't want what causes a miracle to take place. We don't want the chaos and the frustration and the impossibility. But I'm telling you, sometimes we get in these jams and and God's saying, trust me. I can, do a, I can do a miracle, I can do a Hail Mary, I can make this thing, and I don't mean that in any kind of religious way. I can do a situation, I can take care of this, I can make a way where there seems to be no way. Just keep your eye on the ball and go long because I'm going to get it straight to you. And if you'll just keep your eye on the ball, I'll lay it right in where it needs to be and you'll cross that goal line and I'll do what nobody else can do. Stand with me right now. Stand with me right now. Hallelujah. Paul said, being confident of this one thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. (laughs) Will complete it. He will finish what he started. Some of you, listen, you've been managing the game so tightly and you've gotten yourself into a third and long situation. It's okay. It's okay, if you'll just keep your eye, put your eye back on the ball and watch what our coach and our quarterback, our king, watch what he does because he knows how to make a play for the highlight reel. He knows how to put a number one on ESPN's top 10. He knows how to make that happen in your life. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, Just keep your eye on the ball. I heard a story fascinated me. It's about sports. It's about an Olympic runner. And the idea of just keeping your eye on the prize 
You know, Paul was aware of the Olympics and talked about finishing the race and the prize that's laid up for him, keeping your eye on the prize. This little story here, it says, hours behind the runner in front of him, the last marathoner finally entered the Olympic Stadium. By that time, the drama of the day's events was almost over and most of the spectators had gone home. This athlete's story, however, was still being played out. Limping into the arena, arena, the Tanzanian runner grimaced with every step, his knee bleeding and bandaged from an earlier fall. His ragged appearance immediately caught the attention of the remaining crowd who cheered him on to the finish line. Why did he stay in the race? What made him endure his injuries to the end? When asked these questions later, he replied, My country did not send me 7,000 miles away to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. And he kept his eye on the prize. And he determined, I may be bandaged, I may be wounded, I may have had my struggles, but I'm going to finish this race. I feel like the Holy Spirit is challenging somebody today. Keep your eye on the ball. Go long. Watch what I do. Guard against letting the filter of your abilities dictate the limitations that you're placing on me. I'm God. I'm unlimited. I can do whatever. I can make a way where there seems to be no way. I can create a way. I can create a Genesis week in you. I can make it happen. I can make it happen. God wants to challenge you today. Keep your eye on the ball. He loves you. He chose you. He's got a plan for you. He's not forsaken you. He's not given up on you. Amen. Can you bow your heads with me right now? Father, I thank you for your word. The word that tells us of your amazing love and grace and kindness and mercy. Your word that tells us of a God who knows how to deal with humans and our frailties and our weaknesses and knows how to get us into the promised land, knows how to get us into everything that you've called us into, Lord. And God, when we take our eye off the ball, we delay things and we mess things up. But you know how to give us a fresh start. You know how to get us back up and back in the game. You know how to bandage our wounds and get our attention back where it needs to be so we can finish this thing. You didn't call us to start this race. You called us to finish it, God. And I feel that challenge from the spirit realm, God, from heaven. It's coming to some of us today. No matter what hell has come against you, no matter what damage you may have faced, Get up and run, son. Get up and run, my daughter. I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way. and I'm going to make it happen when you don't see how it can happen. I'm going to do above all you can ask or think according to the power that works in you. I'm going to do it. Just put your trust in me. And I'm telling you, I want to give an altar call before we go into communion. If God is speaking to your heart and challenging you today, I want you to make your way up front because God wants to put it in your heart deep. He wants to put it in your heart, your spirit deeply. He wants to put that challenge deep in you so that you can finish your race. Can you?